it's for our it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. See, God has uh, set you free for your freedom. He set you free for your freedom. But then it says, stand firm. It says, stand firm. And see, this is this is Paul where he's telling us, he's the author of this book. And he's this is where he's telling us that is, this is our opportunity, this is our chance to participate in this freedom part. And Jesus did the heavy lifting on the cross, but we still have to stand firm on the promises that he's given us. We have to stand firm in, in believing and knowing who Jesus is and what he's done and the work he did on the cross for us. And then it goes on to say, don't be burdened again and submit again to the yoke of slavery. And I, and I love this because one of my prayers for, for this year is that nobody goes backwards. That nobody goes backwards. That we are continually moving forward in our faith. And, that, and, and uh, is there anybody who would join me in that? This year, we're not going to move backwards. We're going to move forward. We're going to keep moving forward. And so, um, let's pray real quick before we get started. Jesus, I love you. I thank you for tonight. God, I thank you for every single student, every single volunteer in this room. God, I pray that you would just do a work in our hearts tonight. And you would just challenge us tonight. We love you. In Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. amen. Look at the person right next to you. Look them deep in the eyes. Say, I'm so glad you're here. All right. Well, one thing we talk about, real. one thing we talk about is that one thing I ask you guys to do is to take notes, to write some things down, because who knows what God could speak to your heart tonight, and you would want to go back later on and be like, oh yeah, that's the night, or that's the moment, or that's the time, or that's the place where God spoke directly to me. And so I encourage you guys every single week to write things down, to write, because, and just the... The foolishness of my speaking, God could speak directly to your hearts. And so uh, take notes because one thing we say is note takers are. That's right. Note takers go to heaven. <laughs> that's not true. So Your truck broke down? I'm so sorry for you. Well, here's the deal. When I was a real little kid, probably about, uh, I have a, a four-year-old. His name's Jet. He's like one of the coolest little kids you'll ever meet. Except, like, at this age right now, he's, he's crying a lot. And it's, anyways, I, we won't go into that. Uh, but anyways, when I was a little kid, real little, my dad pastored a church. He pastored a church. And, and you know, you guys know, and, and as a little kid, and maybe you still like this too, but as a little kid, like, your dad's your hero. Like, you look up to him. Like, you want to be just like your dad. Like, he wears a flannel shirt, you wear a flannel shirt. Like, he wears boots, you go find some boots. You know what I'm talking about? Like, your dad is your hero. And so I wanted to be like my dad when I was a little kid. And I remember one day we had these, we had these two uh, neighbor, well, I call them neighbor girls. We lived out in the country. They lived a mile from us, so they were our neighbors. And uh, these neighbor girls, and they were exactly mine and my brother's ages. And so they, would, they came over to, actually, that was my first girlfriend ever, uh, was in kindergarten. And that was my first kiss ever, so... Um, it wasn't voluntary on her part. I forced it. So, uh, but anyways, anyways, uh, it, yeah, that's weird. But, uh, anyways, one day I remember, I remember one day we, there are these, uh, their, their parents were ever visiting and these two little girls were there, uh, playing with my brother and I, and we, they were the same age. They were over at our house and I'll never forget. 
um, at that age. Like some kids, when they play together, like at a really young age, they act, act, they act like animals, like dogs or cats. Ugh. Or, uh, or, just they, or maybe they act like they're, fam- like they're grown-ups, like and mom and dad, or they play house or things like that. But um, I wanted to have church. As a little kid, like I wanted to have church and like we lived at this time in our lives, we lived in this trailer house and I set up a church service for us in our hallway. I set up this church and so I, here's what I did. I got my podium, which was a cardboard box and, and I got a, uh, I got actually, I got out my Bible. I put it on there. We had this little bitty um, toy play Casio keyboard and we set that up and we had this toy guitar with no strings and, uh, and so, um, we had, we, we, my brother played the guitar. One of these girls played the keyboards and the other girl sang. And let me tell you, like, it was powerful. Like it was so good. We, God moved in that hallway. I mean, um, anyways, like we sang, I don't even remember what it was we sang, but we sang a little bit. And afterwards I got up and I preached and I got out my Bible and I preached to everyone, which was my brother, um, and these two girls, and my church was called Good Church. Hey, welcome to, I couldn't think of anything else. Welcome to Good Church, Good Burger. Yeah, and I, and I, and I, and, and I, and I started out, and I was like, you know what? I want to talk to you about sin. And, and so sin is very bad. And here at Good Church, like, we believe that sin is sin. Like, and, and I don't, I didn't know, like I was a little kid, I didn't know, and I didn't, I didn't remember totally how the whole sermon went, but I probably um, told the two girls and definitely my brother that they were living in sin and they were going to hell. Um, but, but, uh, and I told him, I was like, if you don't change your life you, and you're sinning and you're going straight to hell. And like, I, I wasn't a very nice pastor at good church, but, um, but I, but I want what I want you to know tonight. Here's what I want you to know tonight is that you can't discuss the issue of freedom and ignore the issue of sin. You can't talk about the issue of freedom because that's what we're all about this year. That's what we're we're basing everything off of. You can't talk about the issue of freedom and ignore the issue of sin. And and the reason that I, I preached about sin at Good Church because, um, well. Uh, thinking back about about preaching in that hallway and about preaching on my brother and and these girls, the reason there's a reason I I t- chose to speak on the topic of sin, and here's why it, it's because that's what I heard most about growing up. I don't know some of you uh, us older ones in this room, um, and 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 maybe and, and I I don't get me wrong I absolutely loved the churches that I grew up in. I had a blast. I had even a lot of times it was like really small churches where you knew absolutely everyone. And and uh, I I love there and I love growing up this way and and loved my dad being my pastor and for for part of that time, but I heard so many messages that were talking about what we were against rather than what God was for. I don't know if you guys can can relate to that. Maybe some of our older people in here, but we hear so many messages about what we're against as a church. We don't do that, and we don't do that, and that's a sin. Instead of rather hearing about what God is for. And so tonight we're going to talk about sin because I don't think you can fully walk in freedom if we don't address sin. So here's here's the ground rule tonight that 
we're playing by here at Emerge, and, and it's this. Romans three twenty three and 24. It says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So here's the deal. I'm not going to stand up here and say, You're all a bunch of dirty, filthy sinners. Because I'm right there with you. I'm no greater than anyone else. And so we're all in this together. We all struggle with this issue of sin. So, the, But here's the deal about sin. Sin is the single most unifying factor that we all fit into. We all fit into that category. There's one thing that could, if there's one thing that could fully unify all of us, it's the truth that Paul is telling us in this verse. And every single person has sinned. And every single person has fallen short of the ability to receive and to accept the love of God. Unless there's a higher power that can gain that back for us. But there's the good news. You and I are totally justified by only one way. There's only one way. By the grace and redemption that comes through Christ Jesus. That's the only way. See, if you're here and you've received that free gift of salvation, well, guess what? No matter your sins or your, your mistakes, your shortcomings, your failures, your mess-ups and your mistakes, your struggles, no matter what you're walking through right now, guess what? You can be forgiven and justified. That, that, is, that is an opportunity for every single one of us in this room. See, and justified simply means that you're made righteous in the eyes of God. That we're justified. And if you brought your Bible tonight, we're going to look in the book of Hebrews uh, uh, 2, or 12, sorry, and 1 through 4. And, and um, actually, we're going to be uh, in a few different places tonight. So if you didn't bring your Bible, we'll have it all on the screen where you can follow along. But it says this, Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, and I want you to listen to this language. I want you to catch this right here. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run. What's that word? With what? Perseverance. I wanted you to say it because I, I knew I was going to mess it up. Perseverance. The race marked out for us. Sometimes I see words and it doesn't look. And I, I'm like, ah, I'm going to mess that up. So, um, some of you guys might be thinking in here tonight, well, well, here's the deal, Jeremy. You talk a mean game about how Jesus, Jesus on the cross took care of our sins. And, and Romans says that if you're in Christ, um, this is what you get to do. Count yourselves dead to sin. And I'm sure so many of you are, maybe, maybe you're thinking that, maybe you're not. I don't know. But that's our position. And we are dead in sin and then alive in Christ. And so why in the world, in the Gospels, are we talking about the word sin if Jesus took care of it? Why would they keep, why would the, they keep warning us about sin? Sin is like, um, anybody watch The Walking Dead? Okay. Um, functionally, it's dead. But practically, it's still trying to take people out. Functionally, it's dead. 
But practically, it's still trying to take people down with it. You're dead to sin positionally, but practically, sin is still trying to destroy you. See, your sin in your life can affect your eternity and it can affect your destiny. And God has eternity and a destiny for every single one of us in here. And it's way more, way more awesome than we could even dream, imagine, or think. So many of us, we get the life beat out of us. Um, we, we get the destiny beat out of us. And, and here's why, we're, that we're, we're, we are so distracted by what are my friends doing? Or what are they thinking of me? Or if I do this, like, will people still like me? Or we get so distracted by, like, I, I can't live without a boyfriend or without a girlfriend. Or what's happening in our world? What is going on? And we get so distracted. And, and, and it's like, are, are they going to laugh at me if I do this? I've got to look good. I've got to look cool. We're so concerned with the temporary things that we lose focus on the eternal and on our destiny. See, I've had so many of you talk to me uh, at different times about your, your destiny, about your calling, about what God wants to do in your life and God's plans for your life. And then you turn right around and do nothing with it. Like, I feel like God's called me to, to be a, a missionary. Well, well, be a missionary. Tell some people about Jesus. Well, I feel like God's called me to, to do this or I feel like God's called me to do this. What are you waiting for? There, there's no level of perfection or greatness or level of Bible that you have to know and read or study to tell anyone about Jesus. See, if you knew your purpose, imagine, if, you, if you're in this room and you know your purpose, imagine what a force for the kingdom you could be if you would pour your efforts into your calling instead of whatever, what everyone else wants you to be. I'm not saying you can't have any fun, but what I'm saying is that you got to keep your focus. Keep your focus. If this is what God has called you to do, let that be your focus. See, check this out. Then it goes on to say, it says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. See, imagine a sprinter. Any of you guys run track or have run track or have watched track being ran? Okay, the most exciting race is the sprints, right? Really, it, it lasts like, if you're good, like nine seconds. And, and like the sprints, the 100-yard dash. And so imagine a sprinter. They're getting ready and, and they're getting ready to run and they get down in the blocks and they get set and then the guy shoots the gun and they take off. But then there's chains wrapped around their whole body. That wouldn't... That wouldn't be a pretty race. That wouldn't be a very good race because they're, they're wrapped in chains. And, and, and the Bible says this is exactly what sin does. It binds you up. It wraps you up. It ties you up so you can't function. And it slows down the divine purpose and the destiny that God has given you, that God has crafted for you in your life. And I don't want that for you. And so Paul... He goes on to say, Hebrews 12, he said, Fix, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. See, he, said, he says, fix your eyes, not on sin, because I, I know that's the temptation. There's the temptation. We constantly 
fixate what we fall short on. We constantly fixate on our, on our mistakes and on our mess-ups. We fixate on these things where we fall short. And he says, you, you fix your eyes on Jesus because he is the answer to your sin issue. He's the answer to your sin issue. No one else, nothing else. You keep your eyes on Jesus. Why do we do that? Because he's the pioneer and he's the perfecter of our faith. See, when we fixate on all of our sin, this is what brings the shame into our lives. Like what we talked about last week, if you were here. And, 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 uh, and, and we, what we need to do is we need to fix our eyes on the gospel, on Jesus. See, you can't, you can't, you can't hear the good news of the gospel enough. You can't hear it enough. I could stand up here and preach it every day and we couldn't hear it enough. Last week, we were, we, we, when we talked in here, we were in the Garden of Eden. We talked about in, in Genesis in the Garden of Eden. And so tonight, we're actually going to go back there and we're going to talk about that again. And, and we're going to talk about sin and the anatomy of sin and, and where it started. So um, I, I want to look at the thing um, that what the devil almost always does when it comes to sin. What he almost always does. If you're new to church, um, sin simply means that you, we are falling short of God's original intent for our lives. God designed you to do this, but there's an enemy who, who wants you to do this. And he's got a pretty loud voice, but not as loud as God's. And, and, and if you choose to listen to the wrong voice, you're going to end up doing wrong and living wrong and living with sin in your life. So Genesis 3, uh, we're going to actually start in verse 1. And uh, so I'm going to read it. And then we're going to kind of break it down as we go. It says this, Now the serpent, which if you don't understand, the serpent means the devil. He was in the form of a serpent. He, he, was, he was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit Uh, Fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. Now, here's I want you to listen to the enemy's response. I want you to catch this. You will not certainly die. See, if you want to sabotage in your life true freedom, then go ahead and listen to that voice when, when you're listening to that music or when you're watching those things. Listen to that voice that says, is this really that big of a deal? I can watch this. I can do this. Is, is this really that big of a deal? If you want to begin to sabotage your freedom, you'll start to say that in your life. And the serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. See, listen to this. And, and, and here, here are the specifics of how sin really affects your life goes on to say, when the woman saw, and this, this tells us that she got close enough to the sin issue to be completely tempted by it. And, and let me ask you this, this question, and, and what it was, it was an apple. And, and she got so close enough to this sin issue, to this apple, to this thing. Let me ask you tonight, are there any apples in your life? Are there any things in your life that you get so close to that you want to get right on the edge of? Like close enough to that, that, that you're actually considering participating in it. 
Are there any apples? Are there any temptations? Are anything? There's things in your life, and I guarantee that to her, that apple tasted incredible. And because of that apple, death happened. See, there's power in sin. There's power in sin. The first thing I want you to know about sin is that it's it's almost always a proximity issue. Sin's almost always a proximity issue. See, we're so naturally tempted to get as close as we possibly can to sin. Like, don't we, don't we do that, right? We're so naturally like, I, I just, I just want to get close. I just want to see. I want to see what's going on. Like, I'm not going to do it. But if I get too close, I'm going to, I might fall in. But we, we're, we, we're so naturally tempted to want to get right on the edge. And here's what we do. We say, oh, I think I'm strong enough to handle this. I, can, I, got, I got control of this. Uh, I'm going to get so close to it, and I'm just going to look at it. I'm going to get a glimpse of it. I'm going I'm to see what I'm missing out on. And I'm going to see if it's something that I should really stay away from. See, that cycle in your life never ends good. It never ends good. See, the apple was pleasing to the eye, and she saw that it was good for food. She saw that it was practical. It's an apple. It's practical. It's good for eats. It's good. Let me give you an example, and and I may make a a few of you guys in the room upset with me. Um, And and I know that most of you guys in this room aren't even close to this. But you may be in the future. Um, but I want to save you some heartache for your future. If there's one thing in our modern culture that makes complete practical sense, that's living together before you get married. Let's be honest. It's practical. It makes sense, right? We're gonna we're gonna sleep together. We're gonna be affectionate together. We're gonna we're gonna pay our bills together. We're gonna play house together, all without that covenant of marriage. Because maybe we because and here's why. Because maybe we saw our parents get divorced, and it had an effect on us. And what I did was I swore that I would never do that. Because I, I, I felt compelled to be with this person. So I'm gonna I'm gonna rearrange. The rules out of practicality. I'm going to change the rules because this just makes sense. And you hear people say, well, you got to test drive the car before you buy it. That's stupid. And we're like, we're, it's so practical. We're, we're probably going to get married. We might as well. Because if we get married and what, what happens if we get married and we realize that we're not compatible? We're doing, we think that we're doing something wise and doing something smart, but there's statistics and I'm not, I'm not a statistics guy and, and, but these statistics are, aren't even Christian statistics. Secular stats say that seven out of 10 people who live together first get divorced. And, and I'm saying like, if you, if, if, you're in this room and, and you've done that, which would be our leaders. Um, man, you break the rules. You, you prove them wrong. 
and, and I get it, and I know it's practical. And we've got some, some college-age students and some seniors and juniors and older students in here who, who here in a couple of years, this could be you. And yeah, it's practical. But it destroys marriages. See, this is happening like never before in our culture. This is happening in the culture of young people who are living because what, what happened is that they lived, they went through the pain of divorce in their home when they were kids. That, that's a good looking apple. But it will hurt you in the end. It'll hurt you in the end. But it's so practical. Don't do it. Don't do it. There's a way and a plan that God has for our lives. See, when she saw that it was pleasing to the eye, here's the next thing. Pleasure. She saw that it was pleasing to the eye. Sin looks very practical and it, and it always to come, comes with a degree of pleasure. Oh, that looks good. That'll be fun. That's going to be awesome. Like, and, and there's always this degree of pleasure because of sin. There's an endless amount of pleasures that are wrong. God, this, this apple looks so good. God's like, well, I, I created thousands of other apples for you to enjoy. I created so many other things for you to enjoy. But we're drawn to that sin. She also saw the apple was desirable for gaining wisdom, power. Like humans, we are intoxicated with power. We want power. We want to be able to stand up and tell everyone what to do. We want power. We don't want to be in control. And, and it's, never, it's never a bad thing. I'm not saying you shouldn't grow in wisdom and get smarter and get more educated. We should all do that. That's, that's a really great thing. But you can never approach the boundaries of God thinking that you're smarter. Thinking that you've got the power. I am so smart. I've got this all figured out. And you all are a bunch of idiots. Because we have this. We think we've got this power. And we think we want to be smarter than everyone else. Make everyone else look stupid. See, sin was practical. It was pleasurable. And now it was powerful. <clears throat> I didn't put that in the notes. But sin is that. Sin is practical. Sin is pleasurable. And sin is powerful. The Bible says she took some and ate it. And then she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. And I want you to write this down. Sin loves buddies. How many guys like, you're like, you're, you're going to do something stupid, some totally dumb thing. And, and it's, it's a sin. And you're like, hey, you guys want to do this? You know what I'm talking about. You don't want to do it by yourself. Okay, you guys, you in? Let's do this. Sin loves buddies. We like to draw our friends into because it, it makes us feel better about the sin that we're living in. And so we draw our buddies and say, you come here, come here, do this with me. Let's do this. Some, for some of you in 2018, it will be, 2018 will be difficult and yet simple. And as simple as rearranging some of your social circles. And I hate to tell you guys that. Nobody wants to hear that. And, and let, let me make it super easy for you. Let me put it as simple as I possibly can. Maybe some of you guys in this room need, need to make new friends. 
I'm sure you've heard that quote. You've heard that saying. I've said it in here plenty of times. I'm sure. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You guys ever heard that? Maybe your parents have said that. Maybe someone at school has said that. A teacher, a leader. I've said that. That statement, even though we've heard it hundreds of times, has proven itself true time and time and time again. And I always get kickback from from these uh, really holy and great students. Well, Jesus hung out with sinners. He's Jesus. And that's totally true. He did hang out with sinners. And I'm not saying you shouldn't hang out with sinners and spend time with. That's never a bad thing. How are we going to reach people if we don't spend time with sinners? But there's a way to love friends and there's a way to love people and put up some really strong and some really clear boundaries. I think that's a reason that a lot of sinners don't want anything to do with Christianity. Because they watch us. They see us and they're like, you're no different than me. Why do I need to do that? Why do I need to spend extra time at church? Why do I need to spend this extra time knowing the Bible or or doing this or, or doing these things? You're no different than I am. Misery loves company. But do you know what else loves company? Holiness. I can tell you guys so many times being a youth pastor and, and I'll, I'll have students up here or out here in the crowd. And, and it's, it's amazing to see because there's, there's maybe a handful of students every, every year. And, and every year we graduate students and every year we get new students. It's always a rotating group of people. And, and it never fails. There's always that a few people. When they're on fire for the Lord, when they're excited about God, it affects everyone else. You guys ever notice that? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But holiness loves company. Now, I'm not saying like people who, when they're weird and and crazy holy, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you love Jesus so much, you do that. But I'm saying people who like, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore. Because I guarantee you, when you take a stand... There's going to be a whole group of people around you that say, I want to do that too. I, I want to take a stand too. I want to follow. I want to live like that too. Because a lot of us really are hurting living in sin. And when someone actually does take a stand, and, and I know it's difficult to be that person to take a stand. But when you actually take that stand, you say, I'm going to live different. I'm not going to do those things. I'm not going to be like everyone else. Then all of a sudden, other people start being like, yeah, let, let's do that. Let's have a Bible study. Let's do this. Let's, let's pray together. Let's pray, get together around our, our flagpole before school in the morning and let's pray together. Or, or let's do these kinds of things. And when you, when, when one person starts to take a stand, it'll either, and maybe you've seen this too, it'll either push people away, but I guarantee it'll draw people in. It'll draw people in. Holiness loves company. And then it goes on to say, the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. Basically, it was saying they realized that they were ashamed. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And this is what we want to do if there's sin or if there's shame in our life. We want to cover it up. We want to compartmentalize it. We want to hide it. It says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they do the single most destructive thing that you and I will ever do. They hid from the Lord God. See, if there's one thing that you, if there's one thing 
you want to sabotage your freedom, there's one thing you can do to sabotage your freedom and, for, and your freedom in 2018, your freedom this year, more than anything else. Hide from the presence of God. Isn't it funny how we try to hide from the one who knows everything? Oh, God, I'm just going to hide from you. He's like, I know. I know what's going on. And we want to we hide from him. When you sin, I, I want to challenge you to sprint to the throne of God. Sprint to the feet of God. That is where freedom is restored. See, God says to them, he's, he walks through the garden. He says, where are you? And God's asking that because they need to be honest, for real. And, and this is a part of freedom, is complete honesty. Complete honesty. And God's next question, he says, who told you you were naked? And here's what God wanted them, them to say. God, it wasn't you. See, sin is the enemy lying to you and then you believing it. When God asked that question, he wanted to clarify that it wasn't him that makes us feel shame. God is not the author of shame. And he says, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And he's, he's wanting them to own it. Because you can't be free if you don't own your sin. And Adam says this, trying to put it back on God. Isn't it funny how he tries to do that? He says, the, the woman you gave me, it's her fault. She did it. She gave me the apple. And I, and I ate it. We try to shift blame, but isn't that just like us? We're like, wait a minute, where are you at, God? Where are you at? If God, if you would have been there, then this wouldn't have happened. And, and some of you are in such bondage in your lives because you keep, keep playing the, where, where are you at, God? We keep playing that. And we refuse, we refuse to own up to our part in it. Adam's like, the woman you put here. This is your bad decision, God, because she's crazy. And then the woman does the same thing. God says, what is this that you've done? And the woman says, the devil made me do it. Isn't that a dumb mistake we try to make? And she, said, she says this. She said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Yes, yet he, he deceived you. But he didn't make you eat. He may tempt us. He may try to deceive us. But he can't force you to do anything. He can't make you eat. You're in, you, you aren't in control of the serpent. But you can be in control of you. See, freedom is found in owning up to your mistakes. There's two things. In the way that God deals with our sin. First one is this. And it's a tough one. But it's really important. See, God gives two consequences for sin. Galatians 5, our theme, our theme verse, just a few verses down right past that. It says, a man reaps what he sows. For a man who sows towards the sinful nature. And then he goes on, he gives this long list. It says that this person reaps destruction. But a man who sows to his spiritual nature, then it lists the fruits of the Spirit reaps life and life abundantly. See, now God's uh, consequences, they're not to punish us, but they're to prepare us for redemption. The second thing is this. 
is that God clothes us. He covers us. I love the clothing part. But consequences are, are equal redemptive, equally redemptive as clothing. Now, if God gives consequences but doesn't give clothing, if he doesn't give covering, he brings shame. And here's the deal. These two things don't work together. Consequences and covering. Can we have our band come back up? See, consequences, consequence is God saying, I don't endorse what you just did, and neither should you. Clothing or covering is God saying, but your sins are covered. But you can be forgiven. See, I, I want to end with this. And then, and then we're done. It's Hebrews 12, starting in verse 4. It says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? He says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines, catch this, the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as his children. We're going to skip down a few verses there and this says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, And here's the good news. Here's what I want you to know. It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Did you hear that? Did you catch that? He produces a harvest of righteousness. So I've got two two questions, two things, and we're going to end with worship tonight. We're going to end really fast. Um, I want everyone, every head bowed, just for a moment, no one looking around. I got two questions. The first question is this. Tonight, do you have an apple? Oh, not literally. But pertaining to what we talked about tonight, do you have that apple in your life? Maybe there's a proximity issue between you and sin. You want to get as close as you possibly can. <clears throat> you feel this, this such a weight of temptation and you know You're supposed to run from it and you need grace and strength to run from it. If that's you tonight, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. There's there's a lot of us. There's so many of us in here. Say, that's me. This is where freedom tonight starts to happen. You've got to be honest about it. The second question is this. Maybe it's not a proximity issue at all for you. Maybe you've already touched, maybe you've already devoured that apple and you're living fully in sin and you know that it's not a good thing to keep in your life. And and tonight you need forgiveness and you need freedom from your sins. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of us. I want everyone to stand.